Hi, welcome to Homeschool Minnesota. This is Dale Annand. Um, today we have Michael Ramey from the Parental Rights Foundation. He is going to be joining us talking about the important things uh, that we need to discuss about parental rights in the United States and in, the, in our state. Um, homeschooling, we know, is going to be affected by parental rights and how that is viewed by our legislator and our government. Um, the Parental Rights Foundation is a research and educational institution whose mission is to educate and inform the public and policymakers regarding parental rights with a goal of securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Hi, Dr. Michael Ra Is it Dr. Michael Ramey? <laughs> or Michael Ramey? I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, hello. I'm How sorry. are you? That's okay. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, thank you so much for coming on today and talking about parental rights and the in importance of parental rights um, to homeschoolers, especially in our state of Minnesota. Um, I know that there were some things that you wanted to discuss about that, but before we do, could you give us a little bit of a background um, of parental rights and your foundation and what it is exactly that um, you're, you, that you do? Sure. Well, um, since you mentioned homeschooling, of course, that's what you guys are all about. Right. Um, it's, it's important to, uh, it might be significant to some of your listeners to know that uh, the founders of Homeschool Legal Defense Association, uh, Mike Ferris, Mike uh, Smith, uh, Jim Mason wasn't really a founder there, but is, is their president now. These mm -hmm. folks were the founders of parentalrights.org back in 2007, uh, which is which is the beginning of our organization. Uh, and so we, they founded uh, parentalrights.org again in 2007 to um, protect parental rights, particularly through a constitutional amendment to the U.S. Constitution, uh, saying that parental rights are fundamental uh, and deserve the highest level of protection. Uh, and then in 2014, from that organization, we founded the Parental Rights Foundation, which is just a 501c3, where parentalrights.org is a 501c4 political uh, organization. So Parental Rights Foundation, we do some of the political, but our focus is much more on um, policy, and educating the people, um, and educating organizations, educating lawmakers on the, the importance of parental rights and just the, um, the tradition and the heritage of parental rights in our U.S. courts going back 100 years. So that's kind of been uh, where we started from. Okay. Yeah, the difference between um, a political movement and an educational movement, and that's kind of the difference between um, the Parental Rights Org and Parental Rights Foundation. So wonderful. Well, my question, I have a lot of questions. Sure. <laughs> First of all, um, Tell us a little bit about where parental rights are right now in our in our culture in the, in the United States. Oh, wow. Well, OK, so where they are legally, um, when you get to the level of the Supreme Court, they have pretty consistently respected parental rights for 100 years. Um, the first parental rights case to go before the Supreme Court was in 1923, um, and they held that it's a fundamental right uh, under the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. Uh, which says that no person can be deprived of their life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Um, and so they said that includes your parental rights. Um, so so legally, if you get up, you know, if you appeal your case far enough, you get up there high enough, then that's, that's the bottom line, so to speak, uh, which I guess is kind of a mixed metaphor. Um, but um, but you get up there uh, high enough in the courts, and, and that's, that's the standard. But where we are as a culture... Um, it's interesting, a lot of states, um, uh, well, the, the vast majority, probably three-fourths of the states recognize this same fundamental parental right in their courts, but most do not recognize it in, in state law. Uh, and 
in a lot of aspects of the law, uh, there are areas that become kind of gray uh, until you appeal it up far enough to get parental rights um, uh, sort of applied. Um, and and uh, in terms of our, our, like culturally, parental rights really became a tremendous political issue uh, and just really came to the forefront in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. Uh, when so many parents, because of the COVID uh, situation, uh, saw for the first time really what their their children were learning in schools and how it was being taught. Um, and, and a lot of them just didn't like it and said, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought I'd sign my kids up for. Yeah. And, you know, and the response in too many places from too many um, civil leaders was, well, you know, this is what it is. We suck it up. And, and parents are like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Uh, I have yeah. a right to direct the education of my child. Exactly. Yeah, that is something that I think a lot of states, I know in our state, that has been a really big deal. A lot of families that have been like, wait a minute, that, that isn't, that doesn't align with what I want my kids to know or learn um, in so many ways. I, I, I found a, a statistic on your website that I thought was very interesting and kind of telling about where we are. It was 83% of those surveyed agree with the traditional legal position on parental rights. I just, I, I can't imagine that it's less than a hundred percent, but I do get that that's where we are in our country, but 83% and it, yet it's still a big issue. Why do you think that is? Well, I think largely when it comes down to it, the people who oppose parental rights, if you stop and think about it, Mm -hmm. get their paycheck from the government. And we don't really think of it that way. We don't like to think of it that way. I mean, school right. teachers in particular, they're a part of our community. They go to our church. They teach our kids Sunday school classes or whatever. I mean, school teachers are, are in so many instances, are our friends. And a lot of them are, are wonderful people. Yes. Uh, but when sure. it comes down to it, the, particularly the union that the, the unions that represent them don't always represent all of their attitudes and ideas and worldviews fairly. So let's put that out there. Yeah. Um, but but even at the bottom line, you know, the teachers are being paid by the government. Um, yeah. And and as much as they try to be independent um, and and go with the values of their community and they work their best to, to apply that in their classroom, still mm-hmm. the rules are coming down from the administrators and the rules are coming down from on high that, well, you have to teach this and you can't say that. And and it's very hard for the teachers as a whole. Right. So then you have that union and the administrators and the, and the government uh, pushing back against parental rights and the teachers really are kind of stuck in the middle. I think that that's true. I mean, I, I talk to teachers. I have a lot of very dear friends who are teachers and I think teachers have one of the hardest jobs on the planet. Yes. <laughs> they have to just, you know, especially especially if you um, if you know, they went to school for four years because they wanted to teach something English. They didn't want to have to teach other things. They wanted to teach history. They wanted, you know, they had their, their vision. And when they went into teaching, it wasn't what they expected. And yet they still have that, that calling and that drive to teach. And so they're just in a really tough spot. Most of them, I would say. Yes, Um, I, I agree. Yeah. And then tell us um, one of the things that I that I wanted you to talk about a little bit is the three key facts about parental rights that we should all know. Three key facts. Um, well, first, uh, I think it's important to know that parental rights are are a, um, a, a, a pre-existing right, uh, as yeah. it were. Um, they're the um, 
sort of uh, even in international protocols, um, there's a, a UN uh, treaty adopted in uh, like 1948 on human rights. Uh, that was a response to World War II. And it says that parents have a prior right to decide the kind of education that will be given to their children. And that word prior there, it means that it pre-exists the UN, it pre-exists government. Mm -hmm. uh, and so governments can't mess with it. It's prior to, you know, even the government structure. Uh, yeah. it's, it's just sort of innate in being parents. And so parents have prior rights uh, mm -hmm. to their children that government should protect, should um, respect, and, and cannot properly um, invade. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing, um, I, I, would, I would go with that statistic that you mentioned earlier, that 83% agree with that, uh, yeah. with, with that already. Uh, so, you know, parents, when you're forced to stand up for your parental rights to take care of your child, know that you are not alone. The vast majority of society agrees. You do what's right for your child. Um, and, and you have the right to do that. Um, and then I guess the third thing would be, um, I, I guess it's, it is important to acknowledge there are limits on parental rights. Yes. Um, they're not absolute rights. I mean, I have an absolute right to think what I want to think and believe what I want to believe. And, and I could be completely wrong, um, but I have the right to think what I want to think and it doesn't hurt anybody. Uh, but you don't have an absolute right to your child. You can't sell your child. You can't abuse your child. You can't you know, beat your child or kill your child. Um, and, you know, nobody has a right to abuse a child. So there are point, there's a point at which parental rights end, and then it is a proper role of the government to step in and protect children from those abuses. So, so yeah. there are limits to parental rights. Right. Exactly. I agree with that. I think that oftentimes, you know, parental rights advocates are painted with a wide brush of, well, they just want there to be just whatever they want to do with their kids. And it's like, I don't think any true parental rights advocate would say that they're that hands off, I get to decide what, what happens with my children. Um, I think that there are such a thing as it can go too far. <laughs> there needs yes. to be intervention at, at some point. And that's why we have things like schools and doctors and, and, you know, they can catch those things or even homeschools, you know, homeschooling neighborhoods and co-ops and and um, just to be able to um, intervene if there is something going on that shouldn't be going on. Um, right. Yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the, uh, the work that the Parental Rights Foundation can do in Minnesota. How does that, how does that translate to Minnesota and what's happening here? Well, so Minnesota um, is, is kind of an interesting uh, situation because it it's a pretty blue state. Yeah. Um, and now you're the Christian home educators. Uh, yes. And so probably a more conservative audience. Um, but the fact is, um, and this image, I used this image a few weeks ago and I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep using that. Uh, and that is we're so tempted sometimes, especially in the parental rights arena, to say, you know, that hole is in your end of the boat. So you mm -hmm. fix it. Uh, and, and we lose sight of the fact that we're in the same boat. So what I'm talking about here is, you know, if the government has the discretion, for instance, to take children away from their parents because their parents' skin color is brown. Um, and, and in Minnesota, you've got children being taken away from their parents and put in foster care at a rate four times the, the rate uh, of, of white families. Wow. And, and so... 
if you've got that going on, you know, then if the government has the discretion to take children and it's being, you know, disproportionately used based on skin color, then that they could use that same discretion to take children away from parents because you don't agree with the government sponsored narrative. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're conser- you're too conservative, you're too Christian, you're too religious, whatever. And so if the government has that kind of discretion in the one area, then they could abuse that same discretion in another area as well. So we can't sit over here and say, well, you know, I'm fair skinned and and conservative Christian. I don't need to worry about the inner city moms, you know, with the dark skin who are having their children taken away because right. again, it's the same boat. And so we exactly. can't just sit here and say, well, that holds at your end. Um, mm-hmm. We need to stand together. So so in Minnesota, I would really encourage uh, folks interested in parental rights to consider uh what can we do on a bipartisan level? What can we do to fix these things that are of concern to us because we care about the Constitution, we care about the rule of law, we, you know, our conservative principles uphold these things. And we, and as Christians, we care about people, right? Right. And then on the other side of the aisle, we have the people who are having their families destroyed by a CPS system, child welfare system that's out, that's, you know, colors outside the lines. Um, maybe that wasn't good wording, uh, bring color in there, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but they're, you know, they, they bend the rules and especially against minority families. Um, you know, what can we do together? The, the Democrat lawmakers should care about that because we're talking about their primary constituents Yeah, uh, and we should care about that, but on the, the rule of law and well, and for the people period, uh, just right. it's the right thing to do. So, there's room there to work across the aisle, uh, even in a blue state like Minnesota, to secure parental rights. Well, and 83 percent. I mean, we know that 83 percent is not how many how much there is of conservatives. I no, mean, it's, no, it's, it's right. a bipartisan issue. It's not a Republican Democrat issue. It's a bipartisan issue. It affects all of us. No, and yeah, that, well, th- that is absolutely true. But I think like uh, the 17 percent that are against are like all in Democrats in the legislature. Um mm. I mean, not not really. I, that's, I say that sort of tongue in cheek. I hope some of the your listeners will get a chuckle. But uh, <laughs> but but it feels that way because, uh, you know, the party has its own pro- agendas. And and honestly, the Republican Party have their own agendas, too. Exactly. And, and um, so my frustration with the Democrats, they don't seem to want to get on board the message of parental rights, even though their voters agree with us. Yeah. And my frustration with Republicans is they do get on the message uh, until Election Day. And then after that, Uh, So many of them just kind of forget it. So I really appreciate the champions on both sides of the aisle. And there are a few on both sides uh, who are standing up for parental rights uh, because they understand, like you said, 83 percent across the aisle, across the board, uh, 83 percent do support parental rights. But that's the people. That's not the lawmakers. Right. And it's a and it's a big it's a big issue. It is. is. It's becoming a bigger issue as we start to see things come down the pike from, you know, legislative legislators around the country um, that parental rights are becoming a main issue. And and how does that affect homeschooling? I mean, can you help me with that a little bit? Like, what would that look like um, with homeschooling? I mean, obviously, it's a parental right to educate your child how you want to educate your child or how you see fit. Um, but you know, you were talking a little bit on your, on your website, you talk a little bit about, about CPS and about, um, different things that may happen and in other States and things like that. And what, have you seen any kind of disproportionate, um, 
any kind of disproportionate reaction with parental rights uh, situations regarding homeschoolers or, or just families like Christian families in general? Well, just as a little bit of background, um, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, whom I mentioned before, uh, whom yeah. I've worked closely with, HSLDA, they're celebrating their 40th year uh, this year. And a part of that is recognizing that they have helped to make homeschooling legal in all 50 states. Yeah. So, so there is that. And that is a great help. And that is a great support. But there's also a big push um, from a lot of um, academics, uh, especially in some progressive places like Harvard. Um, there's a professor at William and Mary uh, University here in Virginia who are very outspoken on wanting to uh, to put limits on your right to homeschool and uh, just make you have to jump through a lot of hoops um, to make sure that you are teaching. And some of them, uh, these two I'm thinking of in particular, go so far as to say that that if there's homes if homeschooling is allowed at all, we need to make sure that the homeschoolers are teaching their children the same values that they're getting in the public school. Um, mm. and, and the values are in the public school are very much what all these parents are upset and concerned about. A lot of so, the reason they're pulling their kids out of the public school, if they would really, if, if they would ask themselves the right questions, the school uh, administrators um, and the departments of education around the nation, they would see that a lot of the reason is because parents aren't feeling heard and they don't want those uh, values being taught to their children. That's right. That's right. But there, but these folks in academics, uh, in academia, uh, a few of them anyway, the more progressive ones, they, they love what's being uh, pushed in the public schools. And they think every child uh, should be under that and should learn that. And so even if you homeschool your child, if that remains legal, and they'd rather it not, but if it were to remain legal, then, then they want to at least make sure that your child is getting all those same values at home that they're getting in the public schools. Um, the values that parents don't want. So, right. so it's very important to remain standing and remain vigilant. Um, you know, we have parental rights in the area of homeschooling right now, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, in all 50 states, but we have to remain vigilant of that because there are those uh, experts out there, uh, academics at least, who, uh, who want to take that away. Um, yeah. Now, these, these other areas like uh, child welfare reform and so forth, Again, that goes to kind of curbing that discretion that the government has that right now they're using against minorities and they're using against the poor uh, and they're using against families who maybe don't look like theirs or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they could turn that same uh, discretion and use it on homeschoolers and on, um, you know, Christians and and other other uh, conservative religions, too. Um, and, and I'm talking um you know, uh, Judaism and, and Islam are, are not yep. known as, con, you know, voting conservative, but in, when it comes to family values, they are conservative, very conservative in that sense. And, and so, you know, we can turn, they can turn that discretion on, on them as well. Um, so, so yeah, we, we just need to remember we're in the same boat. And if we can, if we can work on those child welfare issues, even though it's not quote unquote my issue, because I'm just a conservative homeschooler, uh, we can begin to make friends across the island. We can begin to yeah. grow our influence with lawmakers who, uh, you know, right now wouldn't think twice about working alongside conservative Christian homeschoolers. But if we're joining them in the fight to protect poor inner city, you know, black moms and families and keep those mm-hmm. children where they belong, um, we can we can make friends across the island. Right. OK, so. 
one thing that one little piece of advice that or or uh, in, I don't know something that you can do to motivate uh, the family that is living in northern Minnesota and they're kind of detached from St. Paul, which is you know mm-hmm. hours and hours away because Minnesota is a pretty big state, and um, and they're you know and they're homeschooling their kids and they're living their life and. Every year they hear, oh, this may be the year, this might be the year, but it isn't and everything, nothing changes. And you get kind of like in this little frog in the kettle kind of a feeling, you know, where you're mm-hmm. just like, well, it's just nice and warm in here and I'm not going to worry about it too much until all of a sudden there's something to worry about and you're reacting rather than responding maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, what is, what is some things that parents can do right now that is practical um, and something that they can do to make sure that they stay on top of um, parental rights and the issues of parental rights as it as it affects them, mm-hmm. even when they feel like it's not affecting them at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking you know it might be really hard for for them to reach uh, Saint Paul, but it's not so hard for Saint Paul to reach them. Exactly. Um, so so be mindful of that. Um, I would I would encourage them first of all to check out our website parentalrightsfoundation.org. Um, and, and sign up there to get our updates uh, because we can keep you up to date on what's going on in, in terms of uh, parental rights issues there in Minnesota and across the country. Yeah. Um, and there are also on that website, uh, there's a, a pull down menu across the top and one of the things is model bills. And you can look at our model bills there um, and some of the policy that we've developed. And we've developed this this policy with the lawyers at HSLDA and Alliance Defending Freedom and other conservative groups, as well as uh, some liberal lawyers, uh, like an ACLU attorney out of Philadelphia and a New York University professor, a couple of them actually, uh, yeah. out, of, out of New York. And um, and so it's it's been vetted through a bipartisan process. And these are bills like uh, ending anonymous reports to the, mm. the child abuse hotline. Um, sure, keep them confidential, but we need to know who's making the calls because so many anonymous reports are are knowingly false. Yeah. Uh, and so you're wasting the system's resources and you're harming innocent families that are going through investigations needlessly. Throwing the turmoil into a family. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. Um, so that's one of the laws that we'd love to see passed uh, in Minnesota or anywhere else. And it, it's the kind of thing that can get bipartisan support. Mm. Um, and, and another is that, you know, every state in the country, I believe, has a child abuse hotline. No, I take that back. One or two states have have done away with theirs in recent years. But they had a child abuse hotline. Uh, I'm sorry, um, child abuse registry uh, oh. where where if you're if you if you have abused or neglected your child, your name goes on there and then. Uh, employers can look that up. And, you know, if you're trying to get a job in, in a hospital or a daycare center or a school and they see your name on there, then then you are not going to get that job. Uh, the problem is that most of them have no due process. And it's as easy as getting uh, if the the child's welfare investigator uh, doesn't like you or thinks that, that you're guilty, then they can put your name on there. Or in a lot of cases, they need their supervisor. Uh, but that's so it. There's there doesn't need to be like a court case and they were found guilty of it and there was evidence. It just has to be just a discretion at the discretion of CPS. Uh, that's right. So Diane Redleaf, uh, Diane Redleaf's a lawyer out of, uh, out of Chicago or she was, she was in Chicago. She wrote a book called they took the kids last night. And in mm. there, she tells the story of a, of an Illinois couple who uh, fought to get their child back. Um, the child had a, 
a bone disease that was undiagnosed. And so they had a, the child had a broken bone and the parents were accused of abuse and the child was taken away. And they went to court and, you know, gave all the testimony and so forth. And by then the doctors had discovered what was going on um, and knew what was the problem was with the child. And the judge said, these parents have not been abusive, give them their child back and sent the child home. And the next day, the child welfare supervisor put their name on the child abuse registry. Oh, God. So, so I mean, that's in direct, you know, opposition to what the judge said. The judge said they're innocent, give them the child back. Supervisor said, well, I don't think they're innocent. Their name's going on the registry. So we're working across the country where opportunity presents itself uh, to get laws passed that will provide due process before that name goes on. Wow. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's tragic. And 80% of the cases that appeal that um, and it takes about 18 months to appeal that in most states and get your name taken off. About 80% of those who appeal it are successful, uh, which means the system is just horribly Bro flawed. Well, and, and, you know, 18 months of your life fighting something that is unjust like that and the financial ramifications of that and the emotional and the time. Right. I mean, that is a toll on a family, on yes. your average American family cannot afford to do something like that. Right. And the lawyer fees. I mean, those can yeah. really break a family. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable that that's what it takes to get your name off when it was unjustly put on there in the first place. Yes, that's right. Wow. Well, obviously, um, I, I just really appreciate you coming on today and talking with us about these things. And and um, I sure would love to have you back. <laughs> I have a lot oh. more questions, but I try to keep it at 30 minutes so sure. <laughs> for sure. our parents because I want to respect their time as well. Um, but I just appreciate the work that you do at the Parental Rights Foundation. And I also know that you are uh, that you do as a 501c3, um, you do take donations and that's how you fund a lot of what you're doing. And I, I just want to encourage people if you can't you know, if you can't see yourself getting down to St. Paul or, or getting involved in that process, you can help support those who are. Yes. So um, there will be a link on the description of this podcast um, to your website where there it takes you right through the whole process of donating, but also just to educate ourselves, educate ourselves on what's going on. Um, we can't we don't live in a in a in a political climate anymore, in a social climate anymore. Well, we can just go about our days without thinking that nothing's going to affect us. That's not where we live. And um, I just appreciate your work, Michael Ramey. I really do. Well, Dale, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity yeah. to be here well, and speak you. to your audience. Thank you so much. And you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye.